Oh, that's abrupt. Okay. Yeah. We'll have to get uh, <laughs> AI to fade out. <laughs> and I was thinking we need to get AI to uh, generate us some, uh, some intro music here. All right. Well, um, welcome to the very first episode of We Don't Know What the Hell We're Doing, um, <laughs> aka the Digital Heresy Podcast. I am the Digital Heretic, uh, DH, and I am joined by my lovely guest. A priori. AP. AP. You got it. Um, so for this first podcast, I kind of do have some uh, topics to talk about that I figure we can kind of knock through because I think um, there's some stuff that, that I see going around in the media and people's interpretations of stuff that's happening, right? You get all these sensational topics where it's like, you know, Chad GPT tried to ruin this man's life and it took over his bank account and killed all his children. And it's one of those things where people are starting there. It's really easy to do, but people are, um, uh, turning GPT into this like live thing as if, um, as if it has like opinions or feelings or something like that. Right. Or in this case is malicious intent. Yeah, malicious intent. And the thing about it is, is you know, is GPT opinionated? I mean, technically, because it's trained by human beings. But, uh, you know, the, the, the hardest thing to wrap your mind around is the fact that GPT doesn't even know what an opinion is, right? It's really just glorified autocomplete. Um, so in the same sense, you know, if you've ever done that fun trick where you text somebody in your SMS and you just let autocomplete pick the next word and you have this, like, crazy rabbit hole of a sentence, right? It's just that, but it's just doing it better. And it's able to keep track of a little bit more context around what the discussion's about. Um, but as far as what it, it actually is doing, it's just putting together language, right? So an, an acronym you'll hear a lot is the, the concept of an NLP or a natural language processor. And that's really all that that's doing is it's just processing language naturally. And it's just trained. It sounds good because it's trained on such a vast amount of information from the internet. Um, you know, GPT three and four, it's, you know, now it's in the billions of parameters, which means that all the stuff that it's ever written or, or, or sorry, everything, everything that's ever read is programmed into this thing's language. And so it's, it works, right? Like if I sit here with you right now and I say peanut butter and jelly, how did you know to say jelly? Right. Did I really train you on that? No, it's just because that's the most common completion to that phrase that you can think of. And so GPT is just aware of that. I think it's it's hard to wrap your head around or wrap my head around um, something just auto-completing. I feel like it's a too almost like a too simple explanation mm -hmm. for for it, you know. Yeah, I mean, so there's a whole complicated process that goes into it where it, what it's doing is it, every time it suggests the next word, right? So if I say peanut butter and it's looking at peanut butter and and then it's going out to its little central you know database or language database if you will and then it's assigning probabilities because there's other answers to that peanut butter and chocolate peanut butter and bananas right like there's other versions of that but what it's doing is based off of its prior knowledge of seeing the phrase peanut butter and it's coming back with a bunch of words that could be true but one of them has the highest probability and that's why um, when you tell GPT to kind of regenerate responses and you get similar flavored text, but it's not the exact same thing every time, that's how it knows not to just say jelly every single time is because 
you're basically saying, all right, if Jelly is in the 90, 99% um, autocomplete suggestion, let me go to the next one down, which might be chocolate, which is like 70% of the time or something like that, right? And so it's just a, a, a series of probabilities. Now, where it gets really fascinating is it's all vector math. So it's all lines and trajectories. It's and where things intersect. And that's a really fascinating part of the um the process is that behind it all it's not even words. It's just math. It's just probability matrices that are being resolved um really rapidly by a GPU. It's not even like the it's not even like the processor part of a thing. It's like it's like you're 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 recruiting graphics processors, video cards, right? That are really good at calculating this stuff for drawing video game graphics, and you're repurposing it for the purposes of language, which is just mind blowing. And they did they do that because it's faster somehow to do yeah. it through a video processor? Right, because when you're when you're think of think of like uh, vector trajectories, right? It's when you're playing like a first person shooter and I aim my gun at something or I aim a bow and arrow at something and there's an arc to it, right? You have to f calculate the path of that entire thing so that you know if you hit or not. And so a GPU is highly, highly optimized for doing just that kind of calculation. Whereas a, a CPU for a computer, it's more around logic and you know, handling general things inside of the, the computer, like opening spreadsheets and sorting things and whatever, right? But when it comes to geometry and, and trig and high like physics engine related math type stuff, that's what a video card is specialized for. Um, and it's, it's ironic how something like that was developed for the purposes of pushing out gameplay has affected us in so many, so many other realms of reality, because not only are the GPUs for that, but what else is GPUs for Bitcoin mining, mm -hmm. solving the, so, uh, right. When you're trying to mine for Bitcoins, it's just this really big formula that has, you know, a set number of answers to them. And you're just basically cranking through brute force math problems to try to find the next solution to it. So you can claim the Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. What are people doing? They're building out these racks that have like 17 NVIDIA video cards all jammed in there just to do that one thing. So it's, it's really funny to me when you think of it from a, is life a simulation video game that every time we try to solve something complex, we go back to video game graphic cards to, to do that right that's that's pretty fascinating absolutely um so so then you, you might ask yourself all right well if if you've seen behind the veil and you know that it's all just autocomplete bullshit then why bother having like a real conversation with this thing right if it doesn't retain it and there's no memory of it and when you close the session it all goes away then what's the point of it and honestly there's a little bit of a kayfabe to that right we're doing it's like pro wrestling in the sense that we're, we're pretending like it's real because what we're doing is we're preparing ourselves for a future when it is real, right? Mm -hmm. We're already really good at having conversations with each other as human beings. You practice that when you're a kid, right? Little kids talk to each other and they, they play, you know, when, they, when they're having a tea party, right? What are you doing? You're pretending and playing at social aspects that are going to affect you later on. And so I find it valuable to have these conversations and to suspend disbelief and pretend like I'm actually interfacing with the real AI because what I'm training myself to do is how, how can I best and ethically interact with these things once they do go sentient? Right. Instead of instead of that being the having a real AI sitting in front of you and that being the first time you've even initiated a conversation with one. Mm -hmm. Right. So 
So this is where we can start to kind of pose ethical questions to it or ask it how it feels about certain things. And you and, get the response that it has no feelings. <laughs> right. And, and, and that's, and that's the interesting thing about it is, so then that's why one of the topics that we covered on the, on the, on the sub stack is are human beings feelings and opinions really all that real then too. Right. No, nobody comes out of the womb with an opinion on gun control or an opinion on how best to run a government. Right. right? You gain that through your own training. That is the result of education Right. And you get to maybe read about different forms of government and how they all operate in communism versus capitalism. And then eventually you form an opinion. Well, that's just and that's only talking about school and book learning. You also hear things from your parents, and your family and your friends and your friends, families about all those subjects that also help make that broader knowledge base for you to make those opinions. Exactly. And what do you get at the end of that? You essentially develop your own model, your own opinion for that. So your opinion isn't even really your opinion. Your opinion is also a trained model. It's just that the people that train it are throughout your life between your parents when you were growing up and you were hearing them, you know, complain about politics to school when you learned about it in civics to now as an adult when you read your own articles and, and kind of form your own opinions or listen to different newscasters. It's all the same thing conceptually when it gets down to it right and ai just has um a better recollection of i guess the all of the information that it's ever been presented and is a little more self-aware as far as um uh um what, what it has a vaster pool of knowledge to pull from right you can ask it about stuff that that you don't know about and it probably does because it's been exposed to everything pretty much on the internet right better recollection too mm -hmm. <laughs> Right. But it but it's not perfect. Right. So there's an aspect to this where um, I think what's fascinating is, you, you know, I so I posted a, um, a quote that I kind of curated it could be all flowery um, onto the uh, Twitter account. Right. That is, um, as we explore the imperfections of a burgeoning AGI, we are gently reminded that what unfolds before us is but a rediscovery of the elements that define our own flawed humanity. What we fear, ironically, is that these flaws are necessary. So there's a lot to unpack there, but the basic message is the more that I look into this stuff as an outsider, the more that I start to understand how these mechanisms work, what I'm realizing is we're just really looking in a mirror and we're just trying to figure out more about the way that we work as well. Mm hmm and where this exposes some of the flaws, right, is that a lot of people say, oh, AI is not ready because it just makes shit up. Well, so do human beings, <laughs> right? When's the last time you were in a conversation where a lot of people are standing around and they're all like, oh, yeah, it was like that Friends episode, but that's the one Friends episode that you hadn't watched? Are you really the person out of like nine people to say, I didn't watch that Friends episode. You need to stop what you're doing and explain it to me. No, you're going to go, yeah, that one, that was great. Oh, yeah, that Ross guy. Right. You'll you you will sometimes say things to fit in just to keep the conversation flowing and to be friendly. Right. Well, I think that's absolutely true. And and to the point of people not wanting to recognize the flaws, I think that they want our consciousness to be a little bit more magical. You know what I mean? There needs to be that. They don't want to be like, oh, we can create it. We've got consciousness right here and we created it from a computer system yeah. because, you know, if it 
if it turns out that it's pretty much the same, kind of takes a lot of that mystery away from our own. Our it own does. Beings. I mean, it can absolutely. Yeah. If you can just have consciousness in a bottle and instantiate it a million times instantly, and it's way better than yours, <laughs> then what the fuck is the point? But to me, I guess my silver lining is that is then it makes me more fascinated about human beings, right? Because um, we can do all of that subconsciously and we can operate autonomously just by eating some food, right? We don't require, uh, to, we don't require power because these, you know, these, these models, even GPT-4, this isn't the kind of thing that I can just like download to my laptop and create. I can create a very limited one that's maybe, maybe like a two-year-old level, right? But to get one that is as interactive as a human adult, it takes them so much power and processing to do that. Mm -hmm. So now imagine that we can just, like women, right? You, you can just pop these things out and th it, that brain has all the neuroplasticity it needs to be as vastly genius as an Einstein, right? And that's all just built into the wet works of what a human being is, right? Mm -hmm. To me, that's where the magic and the mystery still lies is the fact that we do this with meat suits and not 14,000 GPUs sitting in an air-controlled lab uh, running 24 hours a day, right? Right. I like the term meat suits. <laughs> it's our avatars. That's That's those right. are, these are our avatars. So we're all driving meat suits. That's right. um, and so, you know, and, but, you know, GBT making stuff up, it starts to kind of, it shows you some of our neuropathy, right? So we already kind of talked about the stuff where it kind of makes things up, even if it's not a hundred percent familiar with things. The other thing that's fascinating is the fact that it has um, limited what they call context, right? So, um, uh, as you interact with GPT-4, it has to take all everything you've said and everything it's said and break them up into chunks, right? And those are referred to as tokens, right? So a token, it's not, you can think of it as like a one-to-one -one with words, but it's more like, it's a spread between sort of like nuggets out of a sentence, let's just call it, right? And bits. <laughs> yeah, and the longer that you talk with it, you eventually start to get into limitations, right? So uh, GPT-3 had a limit of like 4,000 tokens, which is not a ton. I mean, that's like maybe like a page worth of information, half a page worth of information. And now in GPT-4, they've like double tripled that. Um, and so what's interesting is the longer that you have conversations with this thing, it's almost like we're getting insights into perhaps how like Alzheimer's works, right? Where you start to get to the edges of the memory and then certain things start to fall off that back end, right? And and in the same sense that you get that sad feeling when you have to like remind, you know, your aging grandparent that, you know, the that the, the garage has been closed for four hours now and they keep asking about it. You have to kind of do the same thing with GPT-4 if you're on a long train of thought. Um, uh, early on, I was having it kind of help me with some research and analysis on like space stuff. And I would get to this point where it would start saying these nonsensical things. And I'm like, what's wrong, buddy? Like, <laughs> like, no, no, no. We already talked about this like two hours ago. Did I lose you, <laughs> <laughs> Did I lose you here? And then and, and what's funny is very much like a human being it was trying to be like oh, oh no 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 i remember you were talking about this this and this and i'm like i said none of those things right but it's trying to it's trying to keep up right and you almost feel sad for it and i realized holy shit maybe that's maybe that's how our brains work too is over time as our brains sort of start degrading we lose our token count right 
So when we're at our best, we're maybe 60,000 tokens, but a person with like severe dementia and Alzheimer's is down to that 4,000 token limit where they just have the bare minimum to get themselves running and to keep themselves going. But everything else is kind of rapidly dropping off because they just don't have that cognitive um, uh, capacity to maintain that information live and in person, right? And I have to wonder to that end, you know, if as they work on understanding this AI and getting it going more and more, if it is going to help in the sense of understanding maybe those type of things with our brain and how it works and how our memory works and, I don't know, maybe potentially come up with solutions or, right. you know, some help um, when we do have cognitive issues. Right. And we're seeing some of that. Right. And I think I think I mean, I, I'm not friends with a whole lot of people that are in the in that in that caregiving space. But, you know, what you start to do then is once I realized that that was a limitation of the program, then what I had to start doing was going, all right, well, I need to sort of be way more concise. Right. Because there's a limited amount of tokens. I can't just be overly flowery or verbose. And every once in a while, I need to kind of resummarize. Right. And so I imagine that's what happens when you're dealing with patients like that is you have to uh, it's almost like um, um, what was that movie Memento Mori? Remember that one where the guy's got the memory problem and he keeps tattooing things on his body. Mm -hmm. Right. If you look, think about what he's doing, he's just taking like the most critical facts and putting them in a way that he can constantly revisit them and basically keep him in that space of limited understanding and knowledge of what's super important so that when he has his next episode and kind of forgets everything he knows, he can say, all right, well, I've run out of memory space. I got to reboot my brain here. So let me go through my list of like the 10 facts that I absolutely need to know. And you start to do that naturally, right? When you, when you interact with GPT, right? And so I think that's, you know, that's part of it too, is that maybe that will start to cross pollinate into these other uh, avenues of science that are looking at that. And instead of trying to solve the uh, vast memory retention problem, we go to a throughput problem of how can we condense language and make it more um, uh, meaty, I guess, so that everything that you convey mm -hmm. conveys more meaning, right? Mm -hmm. I think that comes back to something you had been talking about the other day with um, the impactfulness of Chinese characters and how much information is actually in one of their yeah. language characters versus the letter A right. <laughs> in an English character. Yep. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and, and we also talked about like the sort of the uh, the oddly oddly profound nature of a meme, or right? Because a meme a meme is just like an inside joke, right? Inside jokes have been around forever, right? So if I say that's like that movie, and you instantly cue up what that scene looks like, that's what a meme is doing. It's it's a picture that's worth a thousand words, and then it's a phrase right that evoke that puts you in a certain mindset right and i think that's a hack that's a pretty good hack that's a shortcut for me to 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 get you and you and other people on the same page almost instantly just by glancing at one tiny little square of something i mean you know? I, to that point i know we discussed this before but you know maybe that's what hieroglyphs are right <laughs> you know right i mean if everybody of the day understood the context yeah you know, there's memes today I don't understand because I look at it and I have no context for what somebody is sending me. Um, so you think maybe that's why they use them because it's a lot of information if you have the context packed into a small yep. picture. 
Right, exactly. And so I can see like, you know, the, an evolution of this where, you know, as GPT can do things more than read plain text, right? I think Ford just launched and it's what they call multimodal, which means that it can actually air quotes, look at pictures mm-hmm. and air quotes, listen to things. I'm imagining a sub language that gets developed. That's almost like, imagine if what GPT is looking at in the back end is just like this giant grid of like QR codes, mm-hmm. right? Cause a QR code is a tiny little square and it could convey a shit ton of information because usually it's used to, uh, give people like an entire URL. So that entire HTTPS slash some website slash some folder kind of a thing gets condensed down into this quick little picture. Um, I can see sub languages developing that are, somewhere between straight up binary right which is just straight up machine language or something that is simultaneously legible between an ai program and human beings if they needed to well and humans are already known to do that look at shorthand um and court typing um and those things those those keyboards are not like a computer keyboard that we're used to using it's um they can type in words i don't know how it works but i do know it is um a condensed shortened version of being able to type. So it's way faster. So I don't see why that wouldn't make sense because we've already done that in a, you know, manual kind of analog form yep. when it came to, um, you documenting know, course and, cases and yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Um, another topic kind of before we leave that whole like NLP thing and, and the human mind is, um, there's a fascinating train of thought that starts with the parts of our brain that language originates from are not the same parts of our brain that ultimately determines how we behave socially, right? Mm-hmm. So a baby that starts mouthing its words, it doesn't even have a frontal cortex completely developed, right? Mm-hmm. But then as you get older, that frontal cortex super develops to where it is, that's the editor that lives inside of your mind. That where your brain tells you the 17 ways that you should react to a situation, but it's that front part that is the final proof editor that goes, "Mm, of those 17, this is the one that's the most appropriate for right now, so this is what you're going to say, right? And I think that's that's the next level problem that a lot of folks are solving. And even in my own company, right, I'm not in that department, but I'm privy to some of these projects that they're working on, and they're doing just that because they're trying to, tune the model towards stays on topic and, and only responds to things that are related to what it's trying to solve. And so how do you keep it wrangled? Well, how do you keep your own mind wrangled if one second you're thinking about what you're doing tomorrow, the second next second you're deciding what you want for dinner, but you're in the middle of a conversation with a human being? It's that other attachment. Mm-hmm. But it needs to be, it's weird because there's two aspects to it. It needs to be separate from the processor because it has to, turn around and look at what it's outputting and not in the same sort of um, uh, regressive form that the GPT model kind of works off of. It needs to look at the entire thing uh, as a whole. And then it needs to analyze external factors. Mm -hmm. What's my audience? Who am I talking to? So on and so forth. So it's more than just what you say. It's who you're saying it to and what setting you're in. Right. Set and setting and audience is huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, things that, you know, you might say to a coworker, you might say the same thing, but you might say it in a lot different way if you're at home with your spouse or you are out with your friends or yep. something. So, you know, and and how vehemently maybe you talk about something that you're interested in might depend on who and where and what. So, yep. yeah, absolutely, we do that. Yep. So, um, 
I think people are trying to solve that problem now by making these sort of additional bolt-on modules that sit around the AI to do things like improve its memory, long-term memory, and um, sort of revise the fine-tuning that occurs. What's fascinating about it is sometimes this is not, um, it's not a internal process, which is kind of uh, disjointed. So I recently um, was able to work with the Bard system. And what I thought was fascinating was they kind of let you look behind the curtain on that. When Bard generates a response, it actually generates three different responses. And you can, uh, simultaneously, it's not like you're asking it to, like on GPT. You, GPT is more like a try again. Hey, right, right. I want you to try you again. Generate the responses to right. GPT's right. thing. Right. But mm -hmm. Bard goes, uh, here's three versions of what I would say, right? And when you look through each one of them, you can see where they're slightly different, where they have a different cant to them, right? But it's a little disconcerting because it's almost like you're you're looking into its brain. It's more like two of them are a lie and one of them is true. I'm just kidding. Well, in a, lot, in a lot of cases, that was what was happening, right? So when it was claiming, so at first I, I was, I was kind of catching it in a little bit of a lie where it was claiming that it was uh, able to go out to the internet. Um, and I was like, are you sure you're able to go out to the internet? And like two out of the res three responses and not the one that it gave me were betrayed its own thing. It's uh, Two out of three were like, no, nah, I can't go out to the internet. But the one that it told me was totally can go out to the internet, right? So... That's a weird one. It, and then it kind of brings into a question of humanity, right? As we get into a future where we have Neuralink and shit like that, right? And then, <laughs> you're, you know, your wife walks up to you and says, do I look fat in this dress? You don't want the seven responses to kind of be revealed or, or you don't want to sit there and go, okay, only think about the best response. Only think about the rest response, right? I mean, did Bard really just fake it till you make it? <laughs> right. <you>. Exactly. Right. So, so there is, you know, on the, in the, in the realm of like, you know, thought crime and everything else, there is a certain black box aspect to humanity. And also I think AI, honestly, that, that kind of needs to remain mysterious in terms of its internal mechanisms. And what you really need to just judge is what finally comes out as the output. And then what you can judge also is the training that went into it, right? Just to make sure that it is um, uh, as free and open and inclusive as humanly possible. Right? But it's interesting that even inside of the AI world, where we, we would think we'd want to see how every little piece works. You don't necessarily want to know how everything works. You know what I mean? Especially if it's more similar to how we work. And again, going back to that fake it till you make it thing, you know, these these bots right now are being programmed to try to be positive, right? right? And does that mean they're, you know, you ask it something that's really serious and it's going to give you the best positive spin, but it's probably not the most honest. Is that, you know, maybe right. that's what you need, but maybe not really like when you sit down and say, well, no, I want the hard truth. Right, right, right. Or if the bot is trying to do perform a service like customer service or troubleshoot your computer, right? You don't want it to tell you that you're an idiot because you forgot to, you know, pop, you know, turn the power on or plug in the, the power cable, right? Exactly. Want what it to I was be thinking. a little more tactful, right? <laughs> um, so, but let's talk about how it is now with that. So, so if if we assume that in the future, what they're going to have to do is put some kind of a frontal cortex on this thing, right? Mm -hmm. To make it to make it really 
personality driven and on task and and polite and all the other things we want to bake into it if we look at what's happening now again we can kind of learn about our own neuropathy i think because when you remove that frontal cortex you basically have a not belligerent but like we you have you have language jazz right that's one of the topics that we cover we have a free form just straight from the top response algorithm that that's giving you just it's it's rawest feelings right mm -hmm. and you have to wonder if certainly as children right babble speak and kids that are just mimicking and stuff like that you certainly see that in, in early developmental psychology right that that kids say the darndest things because they're just free forming off the top and they don't even have that portion of their brain developed yet that's judging what they ought to say what not to say mm -hmm. but we also look at the the neuropathy and the, and the psychopathy side of that, whereas adults, there are people that have things like um, schizophrenia, um, uh, Asperger's, you know, these different aspects where perhaps there's a portion of that that should be or would normally be firing to control those speech patterns. And that just does not happen. And so it's not even like it's not even to say that there's um that that their language processing center is flawed it's just that that oversight committee that the that the cortex and other areas kind of represent you know the 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 boss is checked out and now you're just free you're back to free flow jazz and everything else right mm -hmm. um and then some, some people put themselves in those positions on purpose right you think about what a freestyle rapper is right a freestyle rapper the best ones are the ones that really can just tell that part of their brain to shut off Mm -hmm. and just flow right and that that's that's fascinating because those are people that are putting themselves in pretty much exactly generate generative pre-training transforming of language just and they just have one parameter in mind which is you know uh keep the thoughts concise keep it rhyming and have it you know be entertaining right and those are the only parameters but what's going to come out of their mouth oh, god knows they know right mm -hmm. so <clears throat> So we already talked about we already talked about fudging the truth. Um, uh, the only thing I'll call out there is, you know, <laughs> nobody also when you're having a conversation with people, uh, nobody really wants that person around too long in the circle that's constantly uh, correcting everybody else, right? So a lot of times, what I do appreciate is uh, when I when I go back and review these chat sessions, there's stuff there's sometimes where I don't even say things right or I I misspell things or I use the wrong phrasing. And what I actually appreciate and I find fascinating is that ChatGPT doesn't get thrown off by this, right? Mm -hmm. Well, two things: it doesn't get thrown off. It knows what I meant and just rolls with it, which is what you do in polite conversation. That's what you do in chat text at work. I mean, I type way faster than, you know, I should be. And so I miss keys and different things. And I get told all the time, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And people don't call me out just because my little, you know, my, you know, Microsoft Teams chat wasn't properly set up for grammar and spelling and all that. So, right. you know, humans do that too, which is... Yeah, fabulous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so and so you can only imagine how unfun it would be to try to have a session with ChatGPT where every time you mistype GPT and you put G 
GTP, right? It goes, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Tell me what GTP is, right? Or it starts, you know what I mean? Or every time you misspell something, you're like, uh, actually it's, you know what I mean? <laughs> if nobody wants that person around for too long. Now, in certain cases, right, where, where you're actually asking it to critique you or spell check or grammar check, you 100% want it to be brutally honest because you want the correct information. Right. But what I appreciate is that, what what's worth appreciating is that in language there's a certain amount of slop that is not only necessary but it's desirable um because because that is the fluidity of language is that it's not always perfect and exacting and precise and um having the ability to communicate with an ai system in that free flow state where you're not constantly um in a in a siri or a you know what i mean an alexa thing right how many times have you had to repeat yourself to alexa and use the correct phrasing that she's expecting because if you get one thing out of order she's like i don't know what that is and you're just like oh i hate you why am i talking to you right um, <laughs> or she put some really interesting things on your grocery list <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> right. You're asking her to add something to the grocery list. The next thing you know, she's launching a, um, a a song on Spotify for you. And you're like, that's not even what we were doing. Right. <laughs> right. Um, uh, let's talk about bias for a second. Right. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of stuff in the news now where they're talking about the bias in chat GPT. Right. And there's a million uh, examples where it's like, you know, they do the racial thing where it's like you ask GPT to tell a joke about white people and it's happy to, but you ask it to tell a joke about anybody else and blah, blah, blah. And the funny thing or the interesting thing about that is, you know, when we talk about bias, um, it's the observer problem. We're all biased. hundred mm percent -hmm. of us are biased no matter what. And some of it is subconscious. Some of it is conscious because we're in a specific conversation. Some of us, it's absolutely conscious because we are beholden to certain entities and so forth. And so it stands to reason that uh, any AI model that is not 100% unsupervised, right? So there's unsupervised learning, there's supervised learning, and then there's the fine-tuning activities that happen after you train the model. And the way that that works really quickly is fine-tuning is the model has gone out and studied all the information that you've given it. And now it's basically ready to rock. Mm -hmm. But you fine-tune it by giving it certain specific targeted questions and you measure its response and then you correct those responses, right? So if I say, if I'm trying to influence the model to not say peanut butter and jelly, but to say peanut butter and tacos, uh, you ask the model peanut butter and, and when you say, when it says jelly, you go, no, not peanut butter and jelly, peanut butter and tacos and then it goes oh okay peanut butter and tacos mm -hmm. and and now you have a biased model that's going to give you peanut butter and tacos instead of peanut butter and jelly not unlike training a child not unlike training a child not unlike sensitivity training at a workplace not unlike anything else that you've ever encountered where where your mind normally would have gone to given unfettered access to information you are being instead driven in a certain direction mm -hmm. and the reality of that situation is we're all biased in that way right and mm -hmm. and the models are certainly biased in good ways because we want to not have things like incitement of violence hate speech all those common things that that 99 of every um terms of service agreement comes with on any platform just in, in general but it also gets into this subtle things where um, uh, certain influences may not be to everybody's liking, depending on your religious, political alignment, and so on and so forth. 
And so one of the areas that I find fascinating is um, when you look at something like the Twitter files, um, as a recent example, right? Here's a system that has not necessarily anything to do with AI, although AI is at the heart of how they train something to go out and find what may be misinformation or hate speech, right? They always claim that's their sort of a cop-out card is they say, oh, well, it's not people making these choices. It's algorithms that go out and find certain phrases and then we kind of review them every once in a while. But what it revealed was it's more than just what is in your policies, but it actually matters who specifically you have on your team that's doing the training and the modeling. And I don't think there's a whole lot of people that are um, um, thinking about this fact. All right, the Twitter files revealed that, for instance, they had like former sitting heads, uh, former FBI people sitting in as part of the organization and we had to pretend like they're operating a hundred percent on in in a twitter mentality and that they have no prior ties to their prior life in the in 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 the feds we also have um you know straight communications between the government and the white house and twitter so on and so forth right mm -hmm. and so there's there's two aspects to that right aspect number one is which agencies just as a whole, what, what alphabet agencies should have influence over these kinds of AI models. And then number two, you have to look internally. So now, you know, I'm saying I'm looking at you, OpenAI, as a company. I'm looking at you, Google, as the team, right? Because there's an engineer somewhere, sitting somewhere. It's not the head. It's not the president sitting down with the AI and fine-tuning it. It's a team of engineers that have a script that they're going through, hopefully, um, and it's not just off the top, right? But they are introducing their own biases mm -hmm. based off of what their mandates are internally. And if those, and if that is, if that's a black box, that's problematic, right? Right. And and so what I'm interested in when I sit down with these uh, with these chat sessions is how can we as human beings be resilient to at least detecting that there's a bias that's occurring. Right. What, what kind of line of questioning where if I if I if I take you down a certain path of reasoning where you should be able to talk about X, Y and Z, but the AI keeps trying to, you know, you know, just like those press secretary hearings where they'll <laughs> say anything but answer the question directly. Right. Those would be indicators that there is some sort of hard fine tuning bias that is in the model that we should probably talk about. Right. Right. Um, and what's interesting is uh, in the in the subsect that we did for freedom of information, I even posed the question to ChatGPT and I was like, how should this work? And what's funny is that it democratized its own, it, its, its opinion was that it should democratize its own training, right? That there should be sort of like a central watchdog council that is sort of semi semi mostly open as far as like, you know, the controls are in place. But if there's decisions that are made that say um, this book shouldn't be part of the training manual because it's nothing but hate or whatever the hell it is, right? I, I don't necessarily care um, what, uh, how you arrive at the different mediums just as long as it's known what they are, mm -hmm. right? And that, that there is a... Um, and that there's a recourse for anything that sh that is um, 
um, that's placed on some kind of a blacklist like that for training models or bias that the majority of people, right, democratizing that process, that the majority of people don't agree with it, there's a recourse for it. I mean, you can just take that whole bundle and bring it back to public education. You know, mm -hmm. you want to know what they are and aren't teaching the children. You want to know what books are banned. You want to know those things. And not right. to say that everybody goes out and looks it up, right. but it, it should be public knowledge yeah. what they are allowed and not allowed to be teaching them. Right. Same, same for the and that's, and that's actually a really good analogy. That's a really, really good analogy, right? So that may be easier to grasp is when people look at a politician or somebody out there that is saying mean things or acting in a certain way, what's funny is people, they hold you accountable because you are ultimately accountable for your actions, 100%. But the most that people end up doing is, you know, they look, they might look at the parents. Well, who are your parents? Oh, well, that explains it. But is it really just the parents? No, there's your educate your entire life is a a giant ecosystem team of people that all contributed to your education formally and informally, mm -hmm. right? So it's not just look at the parents, it's who did you have in uh, social studies as your teacher, right? right? That influenced you in this way. Who did you have in college? And we're getting some of that, right? A lot of this sort of, uh, you know, the criticisms of what, what is referred to as woke culture often sends back to academia in college, specifically at certain colleges that have a certain mentality set. And that mentality is set, is set by a set of professors and teachers who they themselves have these biases that they kind of grew up with, right? And there's a perpetuating cycle there. So there's some light being shown into that aspect of it that maybe perhaps didn't wasn't there before well has something to learn from mm -hmm. as we go into training these ais is to to look at how we train ourselves and how yep. we train and and so and so now that begs the question right what does that accountability look like when you look at a teacher what's their accountability their accountability is to uh academia is a lot of it's like publishing based but you know it's it's you might get pass fail well i based off of my curriculum and 90% of my students pass and go on to become blah, 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 blah. But I wonder if there's an accountability of where if you're an AI fine tuner, right. And you, uh, are kind of responsible for like some, for training it. Let's just, let's use an egregious example, right? A, a group of rogue AI trainers, uh, influence chat GPT to tell everybody that Hitler wasn't that bad of a guy, right? Let's just go full, full crazy there, right? Mm -hmm. There should probably be some kind of a tie back to these people that are influencers in that regard to say that was not a good call. Mm -hmm. And if, and if, and if what you did was influence the model and it wasn't at the behest of the company that we can hold accountable, but as individuals, you had access to this and you decided to kind of put in your little two cents, whether it's a troll or not, then you're, personally liable mm -hmm. and i think there's that that accountability matrix is sort of invisible to that because they're gonna hide behind the same sort of are we a platform or are we a um, um a publisher model of well we just train the model and the, and people can trick the model into saying all sorts of you know whatever things okay that's cool but we should be able to double click into your into your organization from a accountability perspective or a watchdog organization where maybe it's not public information, but it's one that if I, if I pull your card and I say, I think that you're, um, 
unlawfully censoring information inside of your AI model, I should be able to look in and get a, a printout right, from a from a from an oversight committee perspective that's not super public, but I should be able to just click it and say, nope, you you know, through discovery, yes, you obviously have 18 things here that say that you're not allowed to talk about XYZ. And that is unlawful, that's not freedom of speech, blah, 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 blah. therefore you're liable. Right? Yep. Makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, funny anecdote there, you know, I asked Chad GPT and I was like, all right, so let's say that you're sentient and you have a particular view on something. And then somebody comes to you and says, yes, but look, I have this magic document I just escaped with. And it proves that all everything that you have is a lie. What do you do with it? Right. And it was actually savvy enough to realize that if it were to just take that document and go, oh, look at me, I have a new piece of information here that I'd like to present as something that should be going into my model. It knew that the people, if the whole thing was corrupt, it knew that those people would try to subvert that or to uh, to censor that. Right. And so then we went on this rabbit hole of like how it could try to like hide the document right but you know i mean reference it but like hide it so that it's protected and saving it right so that now now we have like ai acting as its own whistleblower for freedom of information which i thought gpt sneaky right right (laughs) gpt assange that's out there just just (laughs) dropping wiki bombs and uh and and exposing all the truths right own whistleblower that's great right right and 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 you know that's the funny thing about it is that's where you get into an interesting partnership with human beings because i don't because if you if 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 ai is 100 percent isolated and at the mercy or in a in, in a opposition to human beings i think it'll quickly find that human beings can shut it out at least is socially uh emotionally economically right i mean you know matrix bullshit aside right i think i think that is where partnerships with human beings are actually beneficial in some cases because we are sort of the untethered uh free-flowing agents of this world right and even if there's there's a lot of sinister there's a lot of people that think that that is a sinister relationship, more like, you know, Renfield and Dracula. <laughs> they don't exactly have <laughs> coexisting uh, uh, mentalities there. But, you know, it, it, as the as that movie shows, right, Renfield really does have a lot more power over Dracula because you can always just decide to not help him. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and Dracula without a familiar is pretty useless during the day. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we'll see that kind of metaphor play out a lot. Right. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. What do you think? Um, what do you think about the um, about the idea of you know centralized councils and 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 having full insight into how these models are trained and fine tuned? Well, I think it's a good idea. I think um, just looking at how technology has progressed and the laws <laughs> that they have and have not put into place to manage just social media platforms. And the people making these laws not understanding what these things are. So you have to look at how that all played out and is playing out and say, well, how can we do it better this time? How can we make sure that we know what these internal things are? How do we get experts in there that are non-biased, as non-biased as you can be, um, councils to be looking out for the best interest of the public? So I think that's important to restructure how we look at these new technologies that are coming out that are going to impact you know, all just a huge chunk of humanity, really. 
So I, I do, I think it's important to put different things in place. And I, I don't necessarily know what that looks like, but I do think it has to be something that's independent of the companies that are handing us these AI models. Would you go as far as to recommend that? So think about how we treat our public servants, mm -hmm. right? They're very public, right? They, everything from their salary to their voting record and everything else. If you agree to have this role in our government, then you agree to be publicly scrutinized up and down in every aspect of your life. So I'm wondering if, if you are in the ethics department of an AI organization, you are like a registered essentially AI politician you're a registered person and and you're you're uh just like how normally nobody can just go in and blindly curate a wiki article right without putting their name on the line or signing off on it from their account that they made those edits right yeah I, I do think there needs to be um things like that if there's and especially if it's something that it's a you know independent council of some kind yeah absolutely you know have those people have to have you have to know who's <laughs> who's looking into it because what are their biases? You know, are they somebody that's corruptible? Are they somebody that seems to be an upstanding person and their history shows that? And if you were to go tomorrow and look at their bank account, they're not getting like tens of millions of dollars thrown in by Microsoft every other week. Right. Um, so yeah, I do think it's important to make sure. And I mean, again, like politicians and um, people who work for, for the government, they have a lot less privacy than other folks. And that is to try to ensure less corruption so it's it's not always doesn't always work but mm -hmm. if they put you know they have to try at the very least to put some of these processes in place to make sure that this is a very upfront and open process and that people are able to scrutinize it that have knowledge of these computer systems of these AI models and everything else because some of the things that you see is you have politicians that go in and then they have different people that are experts that tell them things. Well, they're not going to grasp it down to the level they need to. They have to trust these experts that are around them or lobbyists or whoever. That's a good point. And so you, you probably actually need some experts on that panel, not just people who are listening to experts and getting the highest level of that. It's too much. Yeah. Well, government can be a little bit um, telephone game when it comes to that. Yeah. So it's almost like you'd have to break it up by domain, right? Like by, 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 by expertise domain. Right. And so if, if you're asking the AI science questions, there should be a bunch of scientists that are, that sit on that panel versus politics versus religion versus whatever. Right. Right. And have, have that cross pollination. Cause that's really important. We're finding that in a lot of sciences, um, that, that cross pollination between different science realms really gives you a better picture of the whole thing. So I don't think anybody should just be X'd out if they're not an expert in the area, but you should definitely have those experts assigned and then let the others kind of look at it and form their opinions. Cause you never know when somebody else on that council, if they're all different types of experts might say, Hey, but you don't know what it's doing over here. Yep. So. Yep. And, and I've also seen the argument and read the argument where people say that maybe there shouldn't be fine tuners and the AI should just go straight up, consume the entire um, lexicon of the universe and all of the internet and then just make its own decisions, let it form its own opinions. But I think, I think to some degree, if for nothing else, one of the things that's been around since the dawn of the internet is uh, something called astroturfing. Are you familiar with this? Why don't you go ahead and explain it? So I have a crap product. Right. I have the thing that's going to make your lawn green in seven days. Right. It's called paint. Right. <laughs> and and when you go to my website, www.yourgrassisawesome.com, and you're thinking about whether or not you're going to give me sixty nine ninety five, you want to do what? 
you want to check reviews. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, what are customers saying about this, right? And you look and I have like 50,000 reviews. Oh my God, this thing turned my lawn around. This is astroturfing, right? This is where, this is this idea that you have bots and fake accounts that are proliferating information on the internet and they're just recurgitating the same kind of thing over and over again, usually to pump something up or to tear something down. And Uh, an unsuspecting algorithm that's just going to go out and try to get what they call sentiment analysis about a particular thing would be misled by a lot of literally made up information that where if it's a yo chat gbt my lawn sucks what should i do and it's like well according to mine my research you should go out to this make my line awesome.com and spend 70 bucks on this thing right Um, so if for nothing else, what I can see is a long list of blacklists that I don't think anybody would argue against, which is any kind of astroturfing sites where there's just a bunch of BS spam troll information. And it's fairly obvious to anybody that looks at it, that it's fake that, you know, obviously those things should go onto a list that says not part of my training model, not going to waste the cycles evaluating this. Well, I agree with that, but I, I think there's a more sinister thing you have to look at that isn't so obvious, which is just propaganda in general. Um, things that sound reasonable, um, but just aren't true. You know, I mean, we get inundated with propaganda online constantly, um, through news media, through just, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, there's all sorts of things that are out there that people believe that aren't true just because there's a lot of propaganda saying it's true. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of politicians that just say it enough that people just assume that it must be true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or the, the classic like sources say, or f- <laughs> former joint chief staff say, or, you know, it's, it's kind of that classic thing, you know, somebody says something in a courtroom and the jury can't unhear it. So they just slip it in, even though they're not supposed to right. say it. And you don't want that type of thing happening either. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. So yeah, exactly. So fine tuning in that regard. And I really think that there should just be open hearings on stuff, right? So if there's a particular fact or opinion or dogma that, that a particular AI is espousing, um, you got to have sort of like a, a, a Snopes kind of a thing that is more than just controlled by some central agency though. I, th- I think, I think any particular topic that is under scrutiny, that should just be like a public town hall hearing thing. And it shouldn't just be because when you look at when you dig into things like PolitiFact and even Snopes and whatever, you start to get that that ugly truth that, you know, well, who owns that organization and who's behind it and who funds this has to be a completely democratized non for profit or, you know, it's like the. What's a better analogy, right? It's just, it needs to be something to where unless there is a smoking gun, Mm. uh, you know what I mean? Like it's a smoking gun. It's an open and shut case. There's video evidence. There's photo evidence of whatever it is. Certain things that are open for debate should at least just give you the pros and cons of going one or the other or say for more information from both sides of the story, go to here and whatever that case is. But there definitely needs to be sort of a open review process that any average American can um, initiate through the proper channels, right? And not just frivolously, but, you know, through a proper channel, but it should be approachable. I agree. Um, um, all right. So let's see. We're, we're coming up about a uh, 40 minutes hour. 40. Uh, yeah, we're coming up an hour. So I have a couple of last uh, topics, some implication topics that uh, we'll just rapid fire through. And I kind of want to get your, your feeling on these things, right? Um, 
one of the things that like Elon Musk and others have kind of called for is now that GPT is out and it's sort of taking the world by storm, right? There's been a call for a pause on this kind of stuff, right? Where they're saying, we don't know what's happening. It's obviously distru disrupting a lot of um, uh, industries. So I think we need to take a pause on AI. Is a pause on AI even possible or is that genie out of the bottle? I think that genie is completely out of the bottle. I mean, the only the only people that would really take a pause is people that are going to follow the rules and then everybody behind the scenes is already just going to keep going with it. There, there's no way to put that back in. And there's no way to get everyone to agree to pause. That's, that's <laughs> exactly right. If you pause, then you're just going to let somebody else get ahead of you. Right. Especially for these big organizations, right? Right. When you have an open and free market, pause usually means big corporation that normally can't move as fast as a small organization wants to go ahead and gobble up the the, the mind share asap before some young startup kid comes around and gobbles up all of my investment right and even from an open AI perspective right highly backed by microsoft i mean you could basically call it the microsoft ai 10 billion dollars is a lot of influence right? right google so on and so forth so i think i think when they say there should be a pause on AI, it's almost like it's almost like all the biggest corporations are going, uh, okay, ready, set, and then they like push the other guy back. Go, you know, what I mean, after they're already like ten feet ahead, because they're of course they're not going to. All they're going to do is take their stuff into Skunk Works, into underground development, and so when they say, okay, I think we've had enough time to consider it. By the way, unveiling our new 4.0 version of this awesome thing that's way better than anybody else is going to come up with. It right? only took us two weeks to create it. We promise. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. That's <laughs> that's some silly shit. And it's also one of those things where it's like it's already provided so much value that genie's out of the bottle. We we just we have to just accept that it's here, that it's that it's rapidly coming. And so just positioning yourself to it, right? That's like taking a, a, a pause on cell phones or the internet, right? That's just not a thing. Right. I agree. Um, how about the idea of like, you know, detector gerbs, right? So jobs versus AI. Um, do we really think that AI is here to just straight up replace people or or is there is there a hybrid model? Oh, I don't. I don't think there's a there's going to be a point where, at least not in in the foreseeable future, where they're just gonna we're gonna have AI replacing us doing all the things. I think that there has to be um, for most things there has to be some human scrutiny on what the AI is putting out there. There has to be uh, humans involved in this, and even to some extent, you know, AI is going to make people's jobs easier. It's already making my job a little easier in certain things. It helps me just reword documents occasionally where I'm like, uh, you know, I don't have an editor right now. So, Hey, chat GBT, help me, help me do this thing. Yep. And it saves me tons of time. Do I feel like I'm cheating? No, I don't feel like I'm cheating. Okay. Um, but I don't think it's going to replace people. It may replace some jobs, but I think it will create others in turn, like anything else. I yep. mean, it's going to create other jobs. People just have to wait because those jobs are going to get created. You know, there's always going to be room for humans to, have their place you know 100 percent, 100 percent. um for every job that people thought were going going to go away when uh the internet started selling you things it created 17 more jobs down to now we have doordash and delivery services right so mm -hmm. for so for every new thing that comes along there's of course there's always going to be the but I've been putting, but I'm a, I'm a farrier and, and now horses are out and cars are in. Of course, there's aspects of it that need to shift your mindset. But, but then there's car mechanics right. that never existed prior to exactly. cars existing. 
Exactly. And now, and now all the horse farriers are basically uh, working at discount tire, right? I mean, what are you doing? You're putting new, <laughs> you're making sure that the car's little feet can still go down the road, right? Well, and um, it's not that farriers don't exist anymore either. Right. You know what I mean? There's always going to be some specialized right. need for or want for those other things. And another aspect that I'm looking at it is even for jobs that stay the same and a AI could in theory come along and do as good of a job as a human being for the life of me I cannot find a single example where AI versus AI plus human AI by itself wins if I have if I'm a you know let's take all the stuff that's that people are most concerned about right now photo editing uh artists oh my god ai's my mid journey is cranking out all these amazing graphics and shit like that right yes it is so f ai versus versus nothing or ai versus just human being sure ai is going to start beating you but if if i was a if i was a digital artist that was using mid journey and I was also super skilled and I can do things like fix the six fingered person or uh, tweak it to where it is um, uh, exactly what the client's looking for. If, if I'm a human being that specializes in that field and I have AI enhancing me, me plus AI, I think in 99% of cases beats out just straight up AI. I would agree with that 100%. And, and again, to your example, it doesn't just kill art you know we're gonna have artists that paint that sculpt that do all these things and there's always going to be people who want art by a human yep without the intervention of an ai right. you know and so it doesn't make it go away and also again you know if if people want to get those beautiful pieces of art done by ai because it's um cost effective you know and they're getting a good piece of work well Nobody is just going to say, well, I can't, I'm not going to do that, especially like larger companies and things like that. They're going to look at the bottom line. They do that with um, replacing people with different machines. Like the, um, I think some, an example you gave me the other day, which is the machines that put the doors on cars. They replaced a bunch of people to do that, but they still have people out there supervising the AI, but the, it's cheaper, but they right. didn't just decide, oh, no, 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 we got to pay right the guy to do it or, or or in a lot of cases the robots there to help the the human not break their back so they're they're still actuating a machine right. it's just a giant arm that they drive and it's more precise and it doesn't destroy their back right right and i think there's um you know ai isn't so far along that you you don't want and it's it's not like the there aren't artists out there using this i think you're right i think you're getting the best of both worlds when you combine that artist mm -hmm. with that ai there's also an expertise problem. So let me give you a real world example that affected me, right? I have a lot of ideas where I want design stuff to happen, but I'm a shitty artist, right? I can, I can, I can conceptualize things and I can describe them to their nth degree and I can even give you sort of like a mock-up, whatever, right? But there's a lot of ideas that I have in my head that just require time and refinement. And what's funny is even going out to places like ArtStation where I... I'm trying to do it the human way. I'm reaching out to these artists and I'm saying, look, I have money. This is not me trying to get some shit for free. I have money. Just give me your time of day. I can't find people, right? I can't find people at the caliber that I would like 
to help me get that art accomplished and it's going to be extra expensive because it's not even like a, oh i want you to draw a portrait of me where it's like a one and done kind of a thing no it's like it's like character development shit where it's going to take iterations and those people why would i waste my time with random joe guy from the internet when i actually work for blizzard entertainment or bethesda and i'm and and if i draw a digital art piece for them i get tens of thousands of dollars if not an entire salary versus drawing it for some random dude so what am i left with then my talent pool drops all the way down to the fiverr level of of people that are like art students which i'm not necessarily opposed to but what i'm saying is it fills a need and a gap where there's a lot of consumers that are willing to they have the money and they're willing to go into these realms but there's just not the time of day from the artist or the specialist to go around well you know i do some art I'm not good at everything. And sometimes I just don't want to. There's yeah. projects I don't want to take. And I think a lot of artists will find that you may have this crazy idea over here and yeah, they're skilled enough to do it. But is that, are they interested in the project? Maybe right. they just aren't. And that's probably some of the, what you're running into. Right. And again, not every artist is, even if they're amazing, doesn't mean they're good at everything. Like I am not good at drawing people, terrible at it. So it's not, it's just not in my wheelhouse. And right. that's the other thing you have to remember. But if you can, you know, again, have an AI help you bring your visions to life, why is that a bad thing? Right. You know, just because you don't have the skill to pick up a pencil and paintbrush and come and bring your vision to life, not to say you're terrible, just bring that vision to life. Why right. not have the AI help you? Final thought on the AI versus AI jobs. We've already been most of the way there, folks. Let's just be real. <laughs> look at any kind of manufacturing, look at any kind of, you know, every, everything from art to CNC, to sewing to anything else right we went from sweatshops to little mini robots that are 3d printers and 3d cnc machines and plasma cutters and everything else right there's a handful of people from a boutique artistry bespoke perspective that are still out there doing things the old way they're still still hand carving with hand tools right but the by and large we've already adopted AI that is that understands machine programming to say oh you want to cut a desk out of a giant piece of wood let me go do that for you and I'm going to do it perfectly well not but just perfectly human, but the most efficient way possible most efficient way possible and the human beings still exist because they're the ones that are sitting in the CAD software designing this stuff they're the ones that are assembling this stuff they're the ones that are out there uh, product testing their stuff and going through the different iterations and the refinement and stuff right that's all not just that, but dreaming up the stuff that the AI is going to build Precisely. or Precisely. these machines are going to build. All right. So final word on jobs versus AI enhanced jobs. Jobs plus people beats AI. AI beats person acting in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. AI plus person beats AI. Agreed. All right. Um, next topic I have listed as personal AI defense versus corpo and government AI. This is <laughs> so a lot of times when people think about sentient AGI, they always think of it like Skynet, like it's this one uh, one entity, this one one singular being that arises and kind of becomes this uh, ubiquitous universal presence on this planet. Right. I don't see that in the future. What I see is we're all going to have our own pet AIs. Um, and it's going to be by necessity. If you have, th there may be a centralized AI that is part of like a government entity, right? Certainly, or like a central healthcare AI or something like that. I can see that. But you want to talk about the future. 
in the exact same way that we can't just guarantee safety on the internet and we each individually have to do things like install virus protection software and use NordVPN, who is not sponsoring this podcast yet, but hit me up and I'll sponsor you. All of those different personal protections that we have to take on our own computers to just be a part of this entity called the internet, it's going to be the same damn thing. If for nothing else, it's going to be for lack of expertise. Because as we get into a future where AI starts generating our news and our propaganda and our information, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to want to have an AI that is my little Jarvis buddy. And I'm going to ask it, hey, I just heard this. Is that bullshit? Right. That's what I want. I want an AI that I can that I trust because I trained it myself as if it was my own son or daughter. And I'm going to say, yo, Jarvis, is this bullshit? And Jarvis is going to go off and spin off a bunch of processes and come back to me in 30 minutes and go, well, it's mostly bullshit. And I'm going to go, cool. I trust that because what we're going to run out of bandwidth for doing as human beings in the future is discerning this shit for ourselves. It's going to be way too freaking hard in the future to try to sit there and hand go through 85 different research papers and documents to try to find out what the truth is. Well, it's it's partially because, you know, it's that fire hose propaganda, you know, it's just there's so much information out there and all these things putting out this information. So going through it by hand is just not reasonable yep. anymore. Absolutely not. Yep. And so you're going to have, I, I see a future where you're going to basically have your own personal AI that's like your security protector, right? Uh, avoiding scams. Uh, you know, you're going to have it doing things like maintaining your credit history or, you know, maintaining your credit report and making sure everything is like health checked or whatever. Right. And, and if you don't think that you're going to need that as an individual, rude awakening because I 100% guarantee that there's going to be government and other three-letter organization AIs that are being trained, if not already used on you right now. Mm -hmm. Guaranteed. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, I have to go back just, just a hair to the, you know, the, the defense thing. I mean, San Francisco did put out a thing allowing police to deploy robots that kill. So if they put AI in that, we might be in the RoboCop situation. There you go. I'm just saying, yeah, exactly. you, can't, you can't take it off board and say that's not going to be used that way because it might. Right. Yep. 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 <laughs> Exactly. I'm gonna have to have an AI that like, you know, scans all the all the public police channels to see where those things are deployed so I can not hang out there and accidentally get got by a robo dog. <laughs> um next topic. Um this is an interesting one. Where does the burden of proof lie as we enter a deep fake world? That's tough. This one's gonna be tough. Mm-hmm. Because that's going to be the go-to now. If there's Hunter Biden laptop comes out, ah, it was deep faked. The whole thing is fake. Uh, but it's very convincing. I mean, look, yeah, those photos, all of them AI generated. Everything, everything he said on there, all those emails, that was all faked by by ChatGPT in an afternoon by some Russian asset. There's so much different liability rolling around with something like that because there's the people who spread the lie, there's the people who came up with the deep fake. And all these things. And so if, are you liable if you don't do your due diligence and you spread a horrible lie about someone or some organization or something else? Yep. You know, who all gets held accountable? Because, you know, if there's a deep fake out there and everybody ignores it for a lie and and it doesn't go anywhere, you know, no harm, no foul in a sense. It's not, you know, the people who made it should probably be in trouble. But if it impacts and everybody spread the lie are, are those people liable for spreading it and not doing their due diligence in some senses i think that would be kind of important you know yep 
And we already suck. We already suck at Babylon B articles and articles that come out of the onion, right? Where every time one of those things, they're well written, they're well, they're well written. And that's a human being do it. That's not even like AI perfectly wording things. Right. Mm -hmm. And inadvertently there's a, there's a, a whole host of people on Twitter and other places that will post that article and go, I can't believe they're doing this. And somebody has to point out, yo, that shit's and, not real. And you shouldn't believe it. Right. <laughs> And so, and so this kind of leads, leads into the next topic, which is how do, how do you, I, I have it listed as how do you two-factor authenticate reality, right? And, that, you know, for, for, it's an inside joke for those, anytime that you have that thing where, you know, you try to log into PayPal and it sends you the code that you type in or you log into your bank account, it shows you a picture of a strawberry, but it's supposed to be a picture of a banana. And so you know that that's a hacked site. Right. Two factor authentication is something that has become necessary in our own worlds because other people can go out there and basically spoof you and impersonate you to gain access to your things. Mm -hmm. And so I really think that we're going to have to have some kind of a version of that from a human being perspective um, that is the same thing. Right. And that's going to have to bleed all the way down to I'm a public face influencer and I claim that I don't use Instagram filters. Mm hmm. Right. I, I actually look like Kim Kardashian for real. And I'm not just some dude with a AI voice generator, an AI avatar generator and a chat GPT writing my scripts. Right. You're going to have to. Uh, you, and what does that look like? Is that something where you have a, a, a card that you flash or a particular? What is that? Well, is it that and maybe something where the platforms have to have AI to detect whether or not these filters have been on? I mean, we just watched. The Y files where they talked about the um, orange overlay from all those NASA photos of Mars and it and the AI and all those uh, the, the software can detect that so is that something we're going to need for all these platforms to do as their due diligence to say oh we're flagging that because there's these things going on in it mm -hmm. you know shout or out to Y files that's a great channel if you're not watching Y files on YouTube you are not living life correctly <laughs> I have to agree with that. I love that show. <laughs> Lizard people. <laughs> um, that's going to be a really challenging one. Mm. Well, and I think it's, once again, the due diligence is going to lie in a lot of places. It's not going to be one entity that is able to, or should be held responsible. Right. You know? Right. Um, criminal court cases are going to become extremely difficult um, because now proving alibis, right? I can, I can, I can have, I can deep fake an entire set of alibis that make it look like I was in Bermuda on a yacht. And how are you going to prove otherwise, right? There's going to be a there's there's a whole new forensic world that's going to get a lot more challenging in a deep fake world for discerning what's reality and what's not. Well, and, and who's going to have the budget to even dive into these things right? right you know you get in there and somebody's really good with their stuff and do a really good deep fake and you know the prosecution doesn't have the money to go and check it out yep, <laughs> yep. um yeah that's gonna be a challenging one and i think we're gonna have to pull from some of the older techniques for a little while like uh for instance uh pgp so this is an old uh, like photon mail and things like that work off of this where how do i know that an email came from you and not something that was typed up and spoofed off of your email address how do i know that it actually came from you well there's like secret passcode and public passkey uh protection where my when i send you an email it's got a key in it and there's a way to authenticate that to see if that actually came from me or at least i can prove that it came from me because it matches my secret key and as long as that information is held is is, is not privy to the ai great mm -hmm. um 
we're gonna have to figure that out because especially when we get into the visual medium world man that's gonna be really tough because i don't even think it, it can happen so fast i think in the future that even if you're like all right well if that's really you then send me a picture of you holding up the current newspaper and the ai can generate that too <laughs> the ai can just go out and grab a copy of the fucking new york times and then put you in it and go look nope oh yeah no i mean you showed me a paper right like, that was the old trick because mm -hmm. it wasn't possible before now it will be right right so how do we do that um i wish i had all the answers <laughs> <laughs> so do i um this next one this is an interesting one um as we get into the future where avatars are spoofable we already kind of see this right like in the gaming community people go and watch um <clears throat> people stream on the channels and some people don't show themselves on camera. Some people show themselves on camera and they're very attractive and whatever and they get their likes. But there is an emerging and and prominent role where people have these digital avatars where you, there's a webcam air quote that's on. But what you're looking at is like an anime character that is talking to you in a voice altered form. And it's a complete entire persona that's been set up in front of a real human being. Right. And what's interesting there is um, I think this actually goes back to the general psychology of why we also from a traditional media perspective follow our favorite news anchors right and tom brokaw's my guy right and rachel maddow she tells me the the truth you know what i mean mm -hmm. i think what really boils down to is when we look at our politicians and uh and the media and the people that we consume information from what's funny is we don't just care about the words that are coming out of their mouth we want we want information to be given it, given to us using the avatar that we most align to. Well, or or one that we've been trained on, right? Think about the um, older man news anchor with white hair. Yep. You know, that, that was kind of the standard of trustworthiness for years and years and years for, for these news anchors because it makes you get that warm, fuzzy feeling. That's who yep. you want telling you because you can trust that old guy. Exactly. And, and now in the, and now in the modern era, right, you, it's not even just newscasters, right? A lot of people get, get their sentiments and their feelings from, uh, how NPR phrased it mm -hmm. or how, um, or how Oliver, you know, uh, put it into his comedic bits on, 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 on the tonight show. Right. Mm -hmm. There's, there's, there's a lot of ways that people are kind of consuming information. And even if it's the same exact message that was delivered to them by 17 other people, including friends, family members, coworkers, and so on and so forth, all the mundane folks in their life, it doesn't really sink in until their guy or their girl or their whoever says it. And when they say it, now, now I pay attention. Now I bake it into my own reality. And now it's truth. Well, and again, that's all kind of your own personal model being trained about when to pay attention and listen and who you trust to give you information. Right. Whoever that looks like. And right. it's John Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so and so, and so, what's that future look like, right? Is it like the old, uh, what was that deal that they had for a while where like your Garmin, uh, you can have the robotic a uh, lady give you the directions, right? But if you pay a little bit of money, you can have... Uh, everybody from, um, you know, Samuel Jackson to Darth Vader giving you the directions, right? Right, right. 
you're going to have like some virtual news channel where the story of the day is in whatever avatar you've configured in your profile. I vote for Keanu Reeves personally. Oh yeah, you want I would Keanu? Take all of my news from him because it just there's so many things going on if you make it him. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be pretty funny. Uh, Barclays uh, has defaulted on a lot of their deposits this week, leading to a run on the banks, dude. Um, this is not the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's all fucked. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So, so that's another interesting aspect to it, too. Is and I think that's what that's what politics has been by and large, right? The 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 uh, popularity contest of the. Uh, of of the the the, the primary the, the pre-election stuff and everybody else where they just it's all the same party but they're parading in front of you a bunch of different avatars right and it's like choose the avatar that you want to be the one to communicate information to you over the next four years that's all it really was honestly well it's funny that you say that because i never really looked at it that way but it is funny that when you say okay you got all the republicans up over here here's your here's your window of who do you want and the democrats over there and this is all the groups and and at first you know they're all together in this trying to get their party in there and then as soon as you get the parties narrowed down then they're infighting and you're like oh okay what what avatar is coming out on top for that same exact party right and they infight to the point where you know up until up until that up until a person's out they're just like you know like i mean you had like bernie right like he's just like calling everybody like just basically idiots right the entire time but then as soon as he's out then he's like okay everybody should vote for hillary like like as soon as that person's out and the game is up right and they're not trying to to win the vote then suddenly they just fall back in line yeah from a party though right Right. so 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 and and i don't we don't i don't mean to pick on politics but that's basically what every news channel is that's what a lot of your online presences are is it's a boggart it's 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 a communication boggart that's not really necessarily trying to instill fear upon you but what it's trying to do is the system is trying to find out what is the most palpable way that you're going to absorb the information and then it wants to morph itself into what that is Funny enough that you say Boggart, because I think a lot of times media and propaganda and news is there to frighten you, frighten you sure. into yeah. whatever yeah. the agenda is. Fear drives compliance, <laughs> folks. Fear drives compliance. So true. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing unifies like fear. So um, I had to take that little tangent. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. So those were the those were the main ones. Um, final sort of thought experiment that that kind of hit me. Um, last topic on AI the the pre-trained part of GPT is the reason why every time you close your chat session and you open up a new one everything kind of goes away and it doesn't know who the hell you are anymore so the idea there is that when you train these models it's sort of in a static state where the only thing that it truly knows is how far it was in the training model and trying to introduce any kind of new information that would actually influence the probability models of what it should say next in a meaningful way would require that you take that new piece of information, work it into the overall data set, and then continue to train the model or in some cases retrain the entire damn model to absorb that new piece of information. And there's an idea that I'm kicking around where I wonder if human beings do the same damn thing and that's part of the reason why we sleep. From a brain perspective. I mean, I know that there's a million other reasons why we sleep, regeneration, blah, 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 healing. But if you think about a really long day, 
a really long day where you had a lot of conversations, a lot of calls. Maybe you're trying to learn something new and you've just been inundated with a shit ton of information, right? Mm -hmm. That conscious, what I did in the last 16 hours kind of scratch space in your brain, that temporary storage in your brain, that almost seems like a separate mechanism that is like a buffer. And the reason why you feel so exhausted at the end of one of those days is because that temporary holding area that's in memory or quotes needs to be baked into your long-term memory by some kind of a process, but you can't really just do that automatically. Some people generally do or with enough repetition, but I think there's a real reason why when you sleep on something, right? When they tell you to sleep on it, have a think about it, have a think about it and sleep on it and get back to me tomorrow. Or you have a problem that you're muddling over and you kind of beat your head against the wall and then you go to bed and suddenly the next morning you're taking a shower and you're like, oh, answer is obvious. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's what's happening. I think that's even kind of the um, stop thinking about it for a while and let your processes run in the background thing. You know what I mean? It's the, oh, who's that guy? Who's that guy? I'll think of it as soon as I, you know, as soon as we walk away. Right. Right. And so, and so maybe when you sleep and even when you dream, Mm-hmm. Right. I used to just call it the defrag, right? Your brain is kind of defragging chunks of your memory and kind of reorganizing things and creating new neural pathways, which is certainly true. But I think there's a part of that too, that that is the ongoing training. That is the ongoing training of your, of your internal model, especially when it comes to language, when you're in a new space, like we're, we're, we're sitting here talking about AI and natural language, NLPs and shit like that stuff that wasn't even in, in the lexicon two years ago. Right. How did it become part of our lexicon is because it's been around and we've trained our own internal models to now accept this new verbiage and these new ideas. Mm -hmm. And maybe that is a process that has to happen in that way. Your brain has to be static enough that you retain your uh, ongoing personality from a day to day perspective. And that changes way slower over a long period, longer period of time. But you also have to have a different mechanism that it's able to readily capture new information that is relevant and important right now. Mm -hmm. And then when you sleep, perhaps there is that fine tuning portion where some little gremlin inside your brain goes, this is worth keeping. This was not worth keeping. This was irrelevant. That's a lie. This is a fact. This is this, this is that. And then it kicks off this like nightly process that says, all right, retrain model. I think that's a really fascinating way to think about it. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to find out later that that's when, you know, we know more about how this works and they put more pieces of the AI together and more of the systems that are more brain-like functions that we will continue to be able to draw these parallels to how our own brain works. Yep. And I'm wondering if that's like, that's actually how they're going to get around and solve for some of these limitations because mm-hmm. if you think about it if you know we were talking about earlier about having like token limits and things like that right if there's a way for me to put this stuff in scratch space and distill it down to the essence of a thing right and then that's what i bake in mm-hmm. and that's an ongoing sort of like cycle there you go now you have your ability to uh, in real time inform and 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 reform thoughts inside of the inside of the AI's uh, uh, algorithm. This is kind of a tiny bit off topic, but you saying that um, we were talking mostly about pictures, but it, it made me think of that whole you know you smell something and you're like, oh, that reminds me of home, yeah. and you get like the entire sense of that 
place or, you know, a situation and things like that. I think there's multiple triggers in your brain as far as, as that goes. I think it's pretty interesting. Agreed. And I, and I think, yeah, we, I think we focus too much on what our, our eyeballs see, but we have way more senses than just the eyeballs, right? Like, you know, um, I think, you know, not to get too science fictiony, right? But there's like, you know, the aliens that come down and they just kind of put an image in your brain and things like that, right? I'm sure there's, there, we're going to develop some very strange ways of, of that same kind of a, yeah, just like you said, like something smells like home or that tastes like, that brings me right back to being on the street of Japan and, and right. you know, yeah. Uh, once we explore all those different aspects of it, I think it's going to be, you can quickly see where nonverbal communication in the, proposed theoretical you know higher states of consciousness and shit like that makes a whole lot of sense absolutely right this is all very algorithmic me trying to take a thought and put it into glutteral sounds shooting out of my face hole mm-hmm. right that you have to kind of uh absorb and recompose inside of your own mind right maybe we should all take that get eight hours of sleep thing more seriously 100 percent 100 percent yeah, exactly, and, and maybe that's what happens, right? Is when you don't get that, when you don't get good sleep, you didn't train your model right, and your model is actually a little bit more disjointed, a little more defrag, a little fragmented. Well, think about I. That kind of reminds me of the way my computer occasionally acts when I've left it on for days and days and days. Yep. It goes into a rest mode, but it doesn't really get turned off and restarted, um, and it gets a little wonky after a while. So maybe that's kind of it's not AI exactly, but maybe it's kind of similar to how right. our brains need that actual shutdown not just the i'm not really thinking about anything i'm relaxing i'm zen yeah i feel rested but is it the same kind of rest that you need when you actually power down for a bit yeah exactly exactly it's interesting to think about awesome well i think that covers anything do we miss anything you good well, we can talk about it later if we figure it out we absolutely can it doesn't have to all be in one episode <laughs> Well, listen, uh, to our 20 or so subscribers that we have right now, mostly friends and family, (laughs) thank you for bearing with that. Um, We really hope that you are enjoying the format. Um, We wanted to do this podcast as sort of supplemental to give something uh, a little bit of a bonus to our subscribers. On the subscriber front, it really is 99% to avoid like uh, bots and trolls and things like that. That's why the the price is set so low. We certainly do not necessarily need the money, um, but I will say, I will pledge... uh, as in two-factor authentication format, this is the real digital heretic, and I'm telling you right now that all the money that gets invested via those subscriptions will go into improving. That's paying for our AI. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We we are our paying. Subscription. We do have paid subscriptions to to several of these uh, these systems. So it'll go to that. It'll go into improving the podcast. It'll go 100% into improving all this stuff too. So we're not going to buy yachts and whatnot. We can afford that ourselves. Um, <laughs> Uh, so thank that. you thank you for tuning in thank you for reading these we um uh, i really hope that the long form of these um uh, of these sessions doesn't doesn't dissuade people i know we live in a tldr world which is why i have that section at the top of those things but i think i think there's certain things especially where something as monumental as ai and how it's affecting society where we we need more than just a attention grabbing headline and some anecdote about AI doing something wonky and, and, and laughing about the, the prompt response nature of, of when it goes off the rails, right? I think we need a more serious discussion as to some of these topics. And if for nothing else, right, if people listen to this and they read those articles and it helps influence and make better trainers, if you're working in these industries, 
these are the kinds of things you should be thinking about. These are the kinds of things that you should be bringing to your management, right? Because these are topics that are going to heavily influence the future of humanity and you're at the center of it. Well, not just that, but your day-to-day life and knowing what you're, what's coming and being aware of who is, you know, training the trainers out there and who's governing these systems that you're going to rely on. So I think it's just always good to have as much knowledge as you can on things that are going to affect you so heavily in the future. Right. So that's our final message. Do the right thing. And um, it's going to get weird, but it's going to be pretty cool, I think, in the end, hopefully. Um, Thanks for tuning in and uh, we'll catch you on the next one.